Welcome back, creepy cats. We have another wrongful conviction to discuss. Today, Melissa will be telling Jackie about the wrongful conviction of Desmond Ricks, a young black man who was framed for murder by the Detroit Police Department. Again, these convictions were highly based on race and could potentially be very triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky little kitties out there. Welcome back to another episode. This is episode two of our wrongful convictions week. Probably the most annoying theme we'll talk about on the podcast. I was so pissed off last episode, and obviously it's going to be just as bad today. Yeah, my episode was so annoying, but... It's infuriating. It really is. But, and I'm sorry, this one is just as infuriating, so... (laughs) That's all we can say. There's really no good intro other than that. Let's just get right into it. On March 3rd, 1992, so today our case is going to be talking about the story of Desmond Ricks. That kind of sounds like Hicks was my guy's last name. I know. Termaine Hicks, Desmond Ricks. Wow. Somehow I feel like our stories are always somewhat similar, and we don't even, like, we don't coordinate, guys. I know. We just pick the theme, and we both pick one, and then we tell each other, so we know we're not on the same story. Yep. So, on March 3rd, 1992, um, a 21-year-old man named Jerry Bennett was standing outside a Top Hat restaurant in Detroit, Michigan. Um, Jerry Bennett was actually fatally shot outside. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And, um, when investigators arrived afterwards, he was already dead at the scene. So, an employee who was working named Arlene Strong told police that she was were obviously working at the Top Hat restaurant. She had seen Jerry Bennett enter the restaurant with another man. Um, the two men spoke Bennett placed his order, and the other man kind of just stood off to the side. Both men then went outside to wait for the food, because I think it was more of a fast food type restaurant. I don't think it was like sit down. So they went outside to wait, and when Arlene went to the intercom to announce that Bennett's order was ready, she looked out the window, and she said she actually saw Bennett get shot. Oh my god, that is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Poor Arlene. Yeah, that's a rough day at Top Hat. She told police, it really, she told police that she actually, she got a brief glimpse of the shooter. She said that the suspect was a light-skinned younger man of about medium height. Another witness at the scene told police that they had seen, um, like some people at the scene, because obviously it was a restaurant, they all kind of agreed that they had seen someone running, and the person who was running had tore off their jacket as they were running. Hmm. And so that was really all police had, because they had a bunch of people sitting in the parking lot, and everyone kind of just said that they, um, no one really saw him get shot. They just saw someone fleeing after. 
who tore off their jacket. Did the top hat lady who was working, Arlene, did she, did she say it was the person who was in there? She, she said that she, she didn't know. She couldn't say for sure because mm. she didn't see, um, like she saw the shooting happen, but she wasn't actually looking at the shooter when oh, it happened. Sure. So she couldn't say for sure, but maybe, um, <clears throat> So that was really all police had. So they clearly start to look for the jacket that was thrown. And they are able to find it nearby. And so when they find the jacket, they're thinking that obviously it's the killer who had run from the scene and just tore off their jacket to um, maybe lose blood or anything. But they found the jacket and when they searched it, they found a phone book picture of a newly born child and a hospital pass all of those findings they used and were able to tie the jacket back to desmond ricks um his name was in the phone book and they could see with the hospital pass that his girlfriend's name who was listed because she had just given a baby or just given a baby i'm sorry just had a baby i was gonna say just given birth yeah <laughs> she had just given birth and so that was why um, he had the hospital pass in the picture. So that was within, that was two days later that they had all of that information. And they also learned that Desmond Ricks was an acquaintance to Jerry Bennett. So they had all that and um, with that information, again, two days later, they went to Desmond Ricks' home where it was actually his mother's home where he was living um, Desmond Ricks was 25. Again, the person who unfortunately got shot was 21, so these people are young. Police searched the home, and they found a 38 caliber revolver that Mrs. Ricks kept under her pillow. Even though Miss Ricks said that the gun was hers, the police, um, placed Desmond Ricks under arrest for the murder of Jerry Bennett. What? That doesn't really seem like much. And this was two days later. And it's just like... Did he match the description? Is he light-skinned? No. <laughs> he's tall, and he he's tall. He's like six foot, over six foot, and he's um, a dark-skinned male. Oh, I'm sure police were like, well, he's black. Close enough. That will come back in the trial, because... Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, that's really not much. I mean... They didn't even test the jacket for they like, placed, DNA or anything. I mean, I know that takes a while, but like, come on. They placed Desmond Ricks under arrest before they even had any testing or anything on the gun that was recovered. That was his mother's. Okay. So the shooting took place in March 1992. By September 1992, Desmond Ricks was on trial for the murder. Whoa. Yes. And remember, his girlfriend just had a baby like a couple of days before. Damn, um, that's messed up. And meanwhile, I bet they're not even looking for anyone else. <laughs> if it is someone who's light-skinned. Oh, yeah. Like, they're definitely not investigating other um, leads. Mm-hmm. So, there were numerous witnesses, again, because I think that this was a restaurant, but I'm pretty sure it was more of a fast food, so fast food type. So, there were a lot of people who were out in the parking lot when this happened. Uh, again, uh, at the trial, Arlene Strong, the Top Hat employee, she was one of the main people who testified for the prosecution. She basically just told her story and described the shooter. 
saying he was a light-skinned male, medium height. They asked her if Ricks was the man she had seen running from, she had seen running. And Arlene Strong said she could not be sure if it was him, but it was possible. Another witness, a man named Ollie McAdoo, claimed that he was also at the restaurant that night and he had seen Jerry Bennett standing outside the restaurant waiting for his order. He corroborated that uh, Bennett was standing outside with another gentleman. Um, oh, I'm sorry. This person actually was inside and he also said that he saw Mr. Bennett come in with another gentleman, talk, place his order, go back outside the restaurant. Uh, McAdoo said he heard three to four shots and when he looked outside, he saw one of the men laying on the ground. He also concluded that the shorter man who was previously seen talking to Jerry Bennett must have been the shooter. I mean, yeah, who else would it have been? Exactly. So he, he's also agreeing that he doesn't really know, but he's just like, well, they walked out together. So I'm assuming that that's who did it. There was another witness, another male, um, named Howard Dilworth. He testified that he was driving past the scene, um, around the time of the shooting he heard three gunshots, and he saw a man in the top hat parking lot fall to the ground, and another man was already running from the scene. Tilworth claimed that the man tore off his jacket as he fled and threw it. Um, however, he could not identify Ricks as being the shooter during a police lineup. Okay. Not a very good case. So, the ballistics expert in the trial was a Detroit police officer, David Ponch, which, is that not a conflict of interest, that a Detroit police officer is testifying, uh, being the ballistics expert? No. Okay. But, so that's who it was. David Ponch was, like, basically the star of the prosecution's case because he concluded that there were small-sized bullets taken from Jerry Bennett's body during the autopsy that could only have been fired from the gun recovered at Desmond Rick's home and no other weapon. David Townshend, a ballistics expert hired by the judge in the case independently, also examined the bullets recovered from Jerry Bennett's body and he agreed that they were fired from the gun found under Mrs. Rick's pillow. I was going to say, maybe they, yeah, like, usually they do have more than one person um, examine it, if it's, like, the first um, person examining the ballistics as a police officer, then, yeah, they usually have, a, especially if it's something like this, they usually have more than one person investigated. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not surprised. But, again, um, this expert, Mr. Townshend, he agreed that... The gun that the bullets he examined did come from the gun that was found under Mrs. Rick's pillow. During the prosecution's closing statements, they argued that even though they there was no motive to the crime, they never rep had one. The case weighed solely on the fact that two experts had agreed that the gun used to kill Jerry Bennett was found at the home of Desmond Ricks, meaning no other weapon could have been used and no one else had access to this weapon other than Desmond Ricks. Mm. Now, the defense had witnesses of their own. Specifically, 
Desmond Rex's mother, Mary, she was one of their main witnesses. So Mrs. Rex claimed that it was impossible for Desmond to have even accessed the gun on the day of the shooting because she said that she threw Desmond out of the house the day prior after they had argued. Um, she believed that he should have been at the hospital spending more time with his son, so she threw him <laughs> out. Hey, good. She's a good parent. She's trying to... Mary does not play. Yeah, she's trying to make him be a good dad. She said that um, she threw him out and she had possession of the gun on person at the time she threw him out. And so she said that after that, she put the gun under her pillow where she does every night. And he had not been in the house since then. And she knew that. So she is like, there is no way. Uh, yeah, no way. Mr. said that there was no spare key to the house. And she said specifically that, quote, no one on earth, end quote, like including her son, knew where she kept her gun at night. Damn. So, she said, and again, the gun was still under the pillow when police Yeah, it's came. not like he would not feel that either. Yeah, <laughs> so, what they're saying is that he, what they're saying is that he used it and fired it that night and then came back to the house and put it back. No. Breaking in twice without her knowing. Um, yeah, and stealing it underneath her literal head. Yeah. The defense also called Desmond to testify on his own behalf and explained what happened that night. So this is Desmond's story. He said that on the night of the murder, he asked Jerry Bennett, because he did say they were friends, to give him a ride to his girlfriend's house. Bennett agreed and picked Ricks up in his red Ford Escort on the way Mr. Bennett had stopped at the Top Hat restaurant um, for some food. Ricks said that he stayed in the car and witnessed a yellow Monte Cristo with three men inside pull up next to them in the parking lot. And the backseat passenger of the Monte Cristo got out. He was the one who was seen talking with Mr. Bennett going inside the restaurant. The one who was um, there when he ordered and they came out. So, I think kind of that what was being implied in this case was that I think that um, Desmond thought that there was kind of like a drug deal going on because they were just like talking outside the restaurant, but he, he would, either way, he just stayed in the car and he said that the other two passengers in the Yellow Monte Cristo stayed in their car as well. They never got out. So, he said that he was obviously just waiting and after, um, several minutes after they were standing outside that he saw the man who was talking to Mr. Bennett pull out a gun and shot Mr. Bennett in the abdomen. He said that he, excuse me, he specifically pulled out a chrome-colored weapon and shot Mr. Bennett in the abdomen. Mr. Bennett fell to his knees and the shooter fired once more directly into his head. Wow. That's crazy. He saw all that. Yeah. Um, Desmond was still inside his uh, he was still inside Bennett's vehicle, so he had got out of the car and fled for his own safety. So when he, I think that he honestly, when he saw um, Bennett get shot in the abdomen, I think he had already opened up the car and ran. Like so, I think that's why he was he probably was, scared. He was terrified. Shook. 
He admitted that he tore off his jacket and threw it as he fled to avoid getting caught up in the bushes and fences along the way. I even thought in one article that, um, and, but I only saw this in one, that the shooter was actually firing at Ricks as he ran. Oh, wow. But anyway, he did, he did admit to taking off his jacket and he threw it. So he hid in the bushes. He said he was so terrified that the gunman was following him to execute him. Rick said that he stopped a passerby walking and asked to use their phone to call police, but the person refused. Uh, Rick then got up the courage to leave the bushes after an hour or so. Uh -uh. He ran to a nearby house and called the police. And the nearby home belonged to Gloria Jean Jones, who also testified for the defense that Ricks did knock on the door, that he was visibly frightened, he was shaking and crying. She said he was so scared that he couldn't even call police himself and report the shooting. Aww. And she asked Ricks if he wanted to go back to the Top Hat restaurant to speak to police, but Ricks was too afraid to even go back. Um, so she basically just calmed him down and offered to give him a ride home. And so Ricks just asked her to drive him back to his mother's house. And she did. The defense concluded that Ricks was at the scene of the crime, um, obviously, but that he was just a witness who was too afraid and they ran for their own safety. Sounds pretty plausible. Exactly. And, um... One of the big things about um, this case, too, is the fact that they were saying that he, when they're pointing out the fact that Desmond Rick said that the weapon was a chrome-colored weapon, they're saying that because the weapon that was recovered from um, his mother was not. Oh, it didn't look like that? No. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What about them bullets, then? Girl. On September 23rd, 1992, the jury reached a verdict and they concluded that Desmond was guilty in the second degree murder of Jerry Bennett and illegal use of a firearm during the, during the shooting. Ricks was sentenced to 30 to 60 years in prison and his appeals following the verdict were all denied. Damn it, that's so annoying because he had a good amount of witnesses for him. Mm-hmm. From 1992 until 2008, nothing was happening um, with this. Desmond Ricks continued to appeal his sentence, and every time it was just denied. It, um, but in 2008, this is when things actually took a turn, because the Detroit Police Crime Lab was actually shut down after an audit by the Michigan State Police exposed widespread um, ballistic testing errors throughout multiple years of trials and multiple convictions. What? Are you kidding me? No. How does that happen? How does that happen? How does that happen only when they get audited? That is so messed up. It really makes me wonder how many other places that could be happening in where they just don't audit. Exactly. It or check it. Oh, damn, that's so annoying. And... Again, so when this happened, obviously, many convicted criminals in Michigan started to file appeals when the crime lab was shut down, hoping that that could um, exonerate them. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Obviously, Bricks was first in line. Um, actually, he was not. Well, I'm sure he tried to be. In 2010, founder of the National Capital Crime Assistance Network, Claudia Whitman, started to go to local prisons and talk to some of the men who were uh, starting their appeals. One man she was working with on um, an appeal actually told Claudia that there was another inmate who believed that he was framed for a crime he did not commit by the Detroit Police Department, and that man was Desmond Ricks. So, no one was actually even looking into his case. He was, again, recommended from another inmate. That just breaks my little cat heart. I know. Thinking that. No thinking one... how many people are probably saying that behind bars and could be 100% telling the truth and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, the bullets match, so it doesn't matter. So but, um, so Miss Whitman did talk to Desmond Ricks, and she then immediately started researching. Also in 2010, Desmond wrote to the judge's appointed ballistics expert, James Townshend, the guy that who um, testified against him, and asked to meet in person and kind of get a better understanding of how he could have been tied to the bullets that were recovered. Mr. Townshend agreed to meet and discuss with um, Desmond, and when they met up, um, Mr. Townshend actually admitted to Desmond that his conviction had weighed heavily on uh, Mr. Townshend's mind. He told Desmond that the bullets he examined in 1992 were pristine condition, and they didn't even appear to have been removed from human flesh. Townshend was a very experienced ballistics expert. He has done over nearly 2,000 bullet comparisons. And he said that the bullets used to convict Ricks did not have any of the typical indicators of being used in a crime, such as blood, flesh, or bone materials, which would have been uh, present on a bullet extracted from the body of Jerry Bennett. Wow, that's Mm. crazy. When Claudia was informed of this information, um, Claudia Whitman, again, the woman who's looking into this, she directly asked Mr. Townshend herself to go through Mr., um, I'm sorry, to go through Desmond Ricks' case file with her. Wow. Yeah, she heard this and she was like... She's getting him on board. Yep. So she was like, okay, you need to go through this with me and tell me what's going on. Good. And when they did that... Whitman came to the conclusion that Townshend had failed to make note of the condition of the bullets being investigated, which he typically did. Townshend also agreed with Whitman that the evidence was not sealed at the time um, of Townshend's investigation, so the evidence could have been removed or altered at any point prior to his research. That's us. Mm-hmm. At this point, with all of these factors coming together, the Michigan Innocence Clinic at the University of Michigan Law School decided to begin working on Desmond Rick's exoneration case. The Michigan Innocence Clinic, they researched his case from 2012 to 2015. Wow. And remember that he, he met Claudia in 2010. So, so they are working for and a long time. And this is taking time. so long. So annoying. 
In 2015, which is way too fucking long. Five years. Oh, wow. They were finally able to get a digital photograph of the bullets that were used in the 1992 conviction. Listen to this. When the ballistics expert, uh, Townshend, looked at the pictures, he was shocked to see severely mutilated bullets in the pictures. And Townshend believed that the bullets were so damaged that it would be basically impossible to say with certainty what weapon they would have been fired from. What? So basically the bullets in the pictures were so damaged that they could not have been able to have been used as evidence. Like they were just damaged as hell. So long story short, Townshend came to the conclusion that the bullets pictured were not the ones he had looked at and investigated. Oh my god. So the ones they really got, they were never, weren't able to tell. I mean. they just somehow blamed it on him. On Rick's. I don't know. Like, so this is, I'll get into that later. Like, I don't know if it's the fact that they couldn't tell. I don't know. Or they damaged them. Yeah. I don't even know if those bullets were the ones that were actually taken from Mr. Bennett's body or if those are ones that the police just used in the picture. Yeah. And damaged so badly that no one would be able to know Exactly. I don't know. But those were the ones that he saw, and Townshend was like, no, those aren't the ones that I looked at in 1992. Wow. With that piece of knowledge, the Michigan Innocence Clinic, they contacted Dr. Oh, God. Lejubisa Dragovic, the chief medical examiner for Oakland County. (laughs) That was a hard name. An L before a J. I've never seen that before. (laughs) Sounds cool. I know. I like it, though. They did a re-examination of the 1992 autopsy report on Jerry Bennett. And Dr. Dragovich... Dragovich? Sorry. Was able to point out inconsistencies with the autopsy conclusions. He noted that the... Small size bullets recovered would have had to have been 22 to 25 point slugs. And the weapon taken from Mary Rick's home could have only fired a 38 caliber rounds. So they were clearly larger size bullets coming from Mary Rick's gun. Whereas Mr. Bennett was shot with smaller size slugs. Wow. I'm definitely Owen Wilson in this episode too. Saying <laughs> wow 50 million times but I can't help it. That's okay. Our, our guest, again, is Owen Wilson. <laughs> That's the guest every time Melissa tells the story. <laughs> Around the same time, student attorneys also decided to track down Arlene Strong. I love, too, that the student attorneys are doing so much work. That's amazing. This. Yeah, good for them. Mm-hmm. Every one of them should be really proud of themselves. So they should they, put this on their resume. <laughs> seriously. They tracked down Arlene Strong... The restaurant employee who had testified in the 1992 trial. And one student managed to track down an affidavit filed by Arlene um, attempting to recant her testimony in the trial. What? Yep. Arlene told the students that she had told police officers at the time that she had witnessed Desmond Ricks in the car one second before she saw Mr. Bennett get shot. Concluding that it had to have been one of the Monte Cristo passengers who had shot Bennett with a silver-colored weapon. Oh my god, that's exactly what he said. And it was impossible that 
um, Mr. Ricks had done the shooting based on that because she said there's no way that Desmond Ricks could have gotten from inside the car, outside, done the shooting, and then... Yeah. Yeah, there's no way. Arlene also claimed that she had told police that the 38 caliber gun that they had taken from the home of Mary Ricks could not have been the weapon used in the crime. She said that, again, the weapon was chrome-colored and that that was not what Mary Ricks's gun looked like. However, the biggest shocker is truly that Arlene told the students that she that um, the Detroit Police Department bullied her and threatened her with arrest if she did not testify for them. That is messed up. Yep. With all of that information they had gathered, like, just crazy. Yeah, that's enough right then and there to get his conviction, mm-hmm. I feel like, overturned. The Innocence Clinic decided they finally had enough evidence in 2016 to file a petition for relief from judgment, requesting a re-examination of the bullets from Jerry Bennett's body. The Innocence Clinic stated in their petition that they fully believe the police department falsely claimed that these bullets were fired from Mary Ricks's weapon, and that the police had actually used bullets taken from Mary Ricks's weapon for Townshend's investigation, knowingly that they were going to trick Townshend into believing that these were the bullets recovered from Mr. Bennett. That is so dirty and messed up. Mm -hmm. That's disgusting that they would just full on do that. Yep. So in April 2017, a re-examination performed by the state police on the bullets concluded that they agreed with the Innocence Clinic's findings and that they stated the bullets that they looked at were far too damaged to say with certainty what weapon they were fired from. But in a separate investigation, there were updated ballistics testing that concluded that the bullets had to have been fired from a completely separate weapon that was not Mary Ricks's, obviously. I'm not surprised. So they concluded that it was not that weapon that the bullets came from. And the Ricks family is like, I know. (laughs) We've been fucking telling you. Yeah, they're like, we knew that a long time ago. Yep. So, finally, on May 26, 2017, seven years after Claudia Whitman even had heard of his case. Can you imagine how much time and effort she put in and probably didn't get paid anything? Which is not Rick's fault at all, because no. it's like, he doesn't deserve to be put back there. He shouldn't have to really pay for that. Imagine him. But He's it's been in jail for 25 years at this point. Exactly. That's so sad. That it's just like, if there weren't for good people, like the students there and for Cla- Claudia being an amazing attorney, who would have done this? It's just so fucked up. It's but sad. let's just keep going. Yeah, sorry. Keep going. Finally, on May 26, 2017, the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office joined the motion, and they tossed out Rick's convictions, and he was released from prison at the age of 53, after oh 25 years served. <laughs> my heart. Isn't that so sad? And his little baby was just born. Just born. He was just going to become a father. Ugh. On June 1st, 2017, the prosecution completely dismissed the charges. Yes, they should. In August 2017, Ricks filed a civil rights lawsuit in order to seek compensation for the time he spent in prison. And in January 2018, the state of Michigan awarded Ricks $1 million as part of the lawsuit settlement. 
Hell yeah. Now, there get is... that coin. That doesn't make up for all the years you lost of your life from that, but get that coin. It really doesn't. It doesn't. But there is one more little thing about in this case that I guess is going to be, um... They're they investigating the officers. In April 2020, <laughs> a U.S. district judge concluded that Desmond Ricks would be able to sue the district police department, the Detroit police department, specifically, okay, not specifically that he's going to just sue the entire police department, but specifically that the retired police officers would not be granted any immunity in the lawsuit presented by Ricks who was seeking over $125 million from the former police um, department. Holy crap. And from the officers who presented false evidence. He's going to bankrupt that police department, and I'm not mad at it. Yep. I mean, So now a jury will decide if police intentionally or at the very least recklessly falsified evidence that was used in his conviction. Of course they did, without a doubt. But. So, the Detroit City Attorney, Jerry Ashford, denied that there was a grand conspiracy against Desmond Ricks, stating that, quote, at worst, it's a mistake in judgment. There's no malice here, end quote. I wrote dot, 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 dot. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> How is there no malice? You straight up gave somebody bullets, and you made that... Met that examiner, that ballistics townshend, you made him look dumb. Like, you literally, and he knew, he said he basically knew in his subconscious, you played him too. So it's like, and that's what? messed up also. So it's like, Jerry Ashford, do you really think that the Detroit, you think that the Detroit lab did this, like, unintentionally? No. I think no that you, they were obviously probably paid off to do this by the police department. There's no way you can take bullets that haven't been fired from a gun, give them to an expert, and tell them they've been recovered from the body, and that's a mistake. And it's like, so when did someone accidentally fire the bullets then from her weapon then yeah. and gave them? Like, that's all, Yeah. I have nothing to say anymore about that. I mean, you listeners can make of that what you will. I'll leave. Desmond Rex has one more thing to say. Yes. Quote, there are no more games to be played. Otherwise, I'll let a jury decide. End quote. Wow. Boom. So he's not backing down. He wants good. A, he for wants a settlement. Him. He basically just wants the money at this point. Like I don't good. really think he wants to go to trial and do all of that. I think he just wants to take the money and be done with it. Obviously, after twenty million years of your life, we're wasting exert jail. all your legal options. You tried and they denied them. Mm-hmm. So do them all now too. Truly, good for him. That's your legal right. I mean, if you have a claim, it's your legal right to sue. So. Right. And let me just make one more point. So, um, I'm so glad that Desmond Rex was exonerated. Um, again, another point is that in, in October 2018, there was another man who was actually exonerated as well, named Daryl Siggers, who was exonerated from prison after his case was found to have been tampered with by the Detroit Police Department. Who, again, used false ballistic testimony to convict him. Is he black? I believe so. Which brings up the conversation of how many men were wrongfully convicted by the Detroit Police Crime Lab. Exactly. There have been two exonerated already. 
That was like the Philadelphia one. It's like how many, and it's also I wonder how many of them are black. Yeah, let it's alone the rest of the just being another minority, right? <laughs> it's like we're seeing all these cases. Like these are just in two cities. Imagine the rest yeah. of the U.S. It's, it's rough. Yep. And um, my final point is that in two thousand nine. The National Academy of Sciences actually recommended, um, they came out with all these recommendations, and one of their most important ones was that crime labs should be completely independent of police department to uh, invo- avoid all these controversies and potential fraud happening. Yeah. However, New York is the only state to have um, made this happen and since then. And that was in 2009. I... That this recommendation was made, and no one has done it. Wow. Well, I hope more states do, because if not, stuff like this really might just keep on happening. I know. And it's really, really upsetting. And I really do, I mean, I hope for Desmond Rickson's sake that they do just settle outside of court for him. I hope that he can just be done with it and move on. Yeah, I highly doubt he wants to keep on... I don't even ever want to set foot in another courtroom after all this. Other than to get another bag. And again, it's just really sad because it's like, hey, this case was just horrible. And the fact that it wasn't even like any, nobody was even looking into it. He had to tell another inmate. And an inmate had to tell someone. Like, that's just so upsetting. I know. It makes me so upset. Like, I just don't have any comments because I'm sad, so I'm sorry. I got I nothing. I know. But I am, like, the Innocence Clinic. But thank clinic God. Is, that is amazing, the Innocence Clinic and those students. Good for them because, like you said, like, I doubt they're getting paid for that. And they're driving. They're not. Finding, tracking down all these people from years past to get their testimonies. Yeah, you know what's really sad is just, this will be my only comment, like, on the system, is just it's sad that people who do all that get paid nothing but people who work for big companies and just settle on a case that is probably, like, nothing, anything too crazy get millions of dollars, but Mm -hmm. people who put in years and years and years of research to help somebody get their life back don't really get much compensation, and that's just sad. But I'm glad Rick's got a lot of money. Oh, I hope he gets more. Yeah, I really hope he does, I hope he gets all the coins. I hope he does as well. And again, the Innocence Clinic, um... I should have, honestly, I should have seen if there was ways to donate. Um, let me look into that. And I'm sure And I is. will post it on our Instagram so we can donate to them as well. Because um, they need to keep doing their thing. Because we love that for them. Yeah, that is just amazing for them to do that. Yeah. And for the Detroit Crime Lab, fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's That we're shut down, we don't like you. It's messed up. Well... Thanks for listening. Sorry, it was another sad episode, but once again, they need to be sad, because I bet there's so many other ones like this. Exactly. And we're glad that Desmond Ricks got justice, but like Jackie said, what about every other case out there that was tampered with by Mm -hmm. the Detroit crime lab? Just Detroit, let alone the rest of the United States. It's tragic. It really... That's all I can say. Think about that on Super Bowl Sunday. Think about it. Alright, well, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media 
at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.